Section four, part two of An Inquiry into the Causes of the Late Increase of Robbers. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marianne. An Inquiry into the Causes of the Late Increase of Robbers by Henry Fielding. Section four. Of the Laws that Relate to the Provisions for the Poor. Part two upon the whole this first class of the poor is so truly inconsiderable in number and to provide for them in the most ample and liberal manner would be so very easy to the public to support and cherish them and to relieve their wants is a duty so positively commanded by our saviour and is withal so agreeable and delightful in itself affording the most desirable object to the strong passion of pity nay and in the opinion of some to pride and vanity also that I am firmly persuaded it might be safely left to voluntary charity, unenforced by any compulsive law, and if any man will profess so little knowledge of human nature, and so mean and unjust an opinion of the Christianity, I might say the humanity, of his country, as to affect a contrary opinion, notwithstanding all I have said, let him answer the following instance, which may be called an argument a posteriori, for the truth of my assertion such i think is the present bounty to beggars for at a time when every man knows the vast tax which is raised for the support of the poor and when all men of property must feel their contributions to this tax mankind are so forward to relieve the appearance of distress in their fellow-creatures that every beggar who can but moderately well personate misery is sure to find relief and encouragement and this though the giver must have great reason to doubt the reality of the distress and when he can scarce be ignorant that his bounty is illegal, and that he is encouraging a nuisance. What then must be the case, when there should be no such tax, nor any contribution, and when, by relieving a known and certain object of charity, every good man must be assured, that he is not only doing an act which the law allows, but which Christianity and humanity too exact of him? However, if there be any person who is yet unwilling to trust the poor to voluntary charity, or if it should be objected that there is no reason to lay the whole burden on the worthier part of mankind and to excuse the covetous rich and that a tax is therefore necessary to force open the purses of these latter let there be a tax then and a very inconsiderable one would effectually supply the purpose i come now to consider the second class these are in reason though not in fact equally objects of the regard of the compassionate man and much more worthy the care of the politician and yet without his care they would be in a much worse condition than the others for they have none of those incitements of pity which fill the pockets of the artful beggar and procure relief for the blind the lame and other visible objects of compassion such therefore without a law and without an honest and sensible execution of that law must languish under and often perish with want a melancholy and dreadful reflection and the more so as they are capable of being made not only happy in themselves but highly useful to the service of the community to provide for these seems as i have said to have been the chief design of the statute of elizabeth as well as of several laws enacted since and that this design hath hitherto failed may possibly have arisen from one single mistake but a mistake which must be fatal as it is an error in the first concoction the mistake i point at is that the legislature have left the whole of the work to the overseers they have rather told them what they are to do viz to employ the industrious poor 
than how they shall do it it is true the original act directs them by a parochial tax to raise a convenient stock of flax hemp wool thread iron and other ware and stuff to set the poor to work a direction so general and imperfect that it can be no wonder considering what sort of men the overseers of the poor have been that it should never have been carried into execution to say the truth this affair of finding a universal employment for the industrious poor is of great difficulty and requires talents not very bountifully scattered by nature among the whole human species and yet difficult as it is it is not i hope impracticable seeing that it is of such infinite concern to the good of the community hands for the work are already supposed and surely trade and manufacturers are not come to so low an ebb that we should not be able to find work for the hands the method of adapting only seems to be wanting and though this may not be easy to discover it is a task surely not above the reach of the british parliament when they shall think properly to apply themselves to it nor will it i hope be construed presumption in me to say that i have myself thought of a plan for this purpose which i am ready to produce when i shall have any reason to see the least glimpse of hope that my labour in drawing it out at length would not be absolutely and certainly thrown away the last and much the most numerous class of poor are those who are able to work and not willing these likewise hath fallen under the eye of the legislature and provisions have been made concerning it which if in themselves efficacious have at least failed of producing any good effect from a total neglect in the execution by the forty-three elizabeth the church wardens and overseers or greater part of them with the consent of two justices shall take order for the setting to work the children of all such parents as they shall think not able to maintain them as also all such married or unmarried persons as shall have no means to maintain themselves nor any ordinary trade or calling whereby to get their living besides this power of compelling the poor to work the legislature hath likewise compelled them to become one apprentices and two servants we have already seen the power of the overseers with the assistance of the justices to put poor children apprentices and likewise to oblige their masters to receive them and long before a compulsion was enacted on poor persons to become apprentices so that any householder having and using half a ploughland in tillage may compel any poor person under twenty-one and unmarried to serve as an apprentice in husbandry or in any other kind of art mystery or science before expressed in the act and if such person being so required refuse to become an apprentice one justice of the peace may compel him or commit him to prison there to remain till he will be bound secondly the poor are obliged to become servants by the fifth of elizabeth it is enacted that every person being unmarried and every other person under the age of thirty who hath been brought up in any of the sciences etc of clothiers woolen cloth weavers tuckers fullers cloth workers shearmen dyers hosiers tailors shoemakers tanners pewterers bakers brewers glovers cutlers smiths farriers curriers saddlers spuriers tanners tappers hat-makers or felt-makers butchers cooks or millers or who hath exercised any of these trades by the space of three years or more and not having in lands rents etc an estate of forty shillings clear yearly value freehold nor being worth in goods ten shillings and so allowed by two justices of the county where he hath most commonly inhabited 
or by the mayor, etc., not being retained with any person in husbandry, nor retained in any of the above sciences, or in any other art or science, nor lawfully retained in household, or in any office, with any nobleman, gentleman, or others, nor having a convenient farm or other holding in tillage, whereupon he may lawfully employ his labor, during the time that he shall continue unmarried, or under the age of thirty, upon request made by any person using the art or mystery, wherein the person so required hath been exercised as, and every person between the age of twelve and sixty, not being lawfully retained in such several services mentioned in the statute, nor being a gentleman born, or a scholar in either university or in any school, nor having an estate of freehold of forty shilling per annum value, nor being worth in goods ten shillings, nor being heir to ten pounds per annum, or to forty pounds in goods, nor being a necessary or convenient servant lawfully retained, nor having a convenient farm or holding, nor otherwise lawfully retained, shall be compelled to retain to serve in husbandry, by the year, with any person using husbandry, within the same shire. Every such person refusing to serve upon request, or covenanting to serve, and not serving, or departing from his service before the end of his term, unless for some reasonable cause to be allowed before a justice of the peace, mayor, etc., or departing at the end of his term without a quarter's warning given before two witnesses, may be committed by two justices of the peace to prison, there to remain without bail or main prize, till he shall become bound to his master, etc., to serve, etc. Nor shall any master in any of the arts and sciences aforesaid retain a servant for less than a year, nor shall any master put away a servant retained by this act within his term, nor at the end of the term without a quarter's warning, under the penalty of forty. Artificers, etc., are compellable by a justice of the peace, or the constable, or other head officer of a township, to serve in the time of hay or corn harvest. The penalty of disobedience is imprisonment in the stocks by the space of two days and one night. Women between the ages of twenty and forty may be obliged by two justices to enter into service by the year, week, or day, or may be committed quos queue. The legislature, having thus appointed what persons shall serve, have gone farther, and have directed a method of ascertaining how they shall serve, for which use principally is that excellent constitution of five Elizabeth, that the justices of the peace, with the sheriff of the county, if he conveniently may, the mayor, etc., in towns corporate, shall yearly, within six weeks of Easter, assemble together, and with the assistance of such discreet persons as they shall think proper to call to them, and respecting the plenty or scarcity of the time and other circumstances, shall, within the limits of their commission, rate and appoint the wages of artificers, labors, etc., by the year, month, week, or day, with or without meat and drink. Then the statute enumerates several particulars, in the most explicit manner, and concludes with these general words, and for any other kind of reasonable labor and service. These rates are appointed to be engrossed in parchment, and are certified into chancery, before the twelfth day of July, and before the first day of September, several printed proclamations containing the rates, and a command to all persons to observe them, are to be sent to the sheriff and justices, and to the mayor, etc., these proclamations are to be entered on record with the clerk of the peace, to be fixed up in the market towns, and to be publicly proclaimed in all the markets till Michaelmas. And if any person after said proclamations shall be so sent down and published, 
shall by secret way or means directly or indirectly retain or keep any servant workman or laborer or shall give greater wages or other commodity contrary to the true intent of the statute or contrary to the rates assessed he shall forfeit five pounds and be imprisoned by the space of ten days and every person who is retained or takes any wages contrary to the statute shall be imprisoned twenty-one days and every such retainer promise gift and payment or writing and bond for that purpose are made absolutely void every justice of peace or chief officer who shall be absent at the rating of wages unless the justices shall allow the reasonable cause of his absence forfeits ten pounds that the statute may from time to time be carefully and diligently put into execution the justices are appointed to meet twice a year to make a special diligent inquiry of the branches and articles of this statute and of the good execution of the same and severely to correct and punish any defaults for which service they are allowed five shilling per day but all this care of the legislature proved it seems ineffectual for forty years after the making of the statute we find the parliament complaining that the said act had not according to the true meaning thereof been duly put into execution and that the rates of wages for poor artificers labors and other persons had not been rated and proportioned according to the politic intention of said act a neglect which seems to have been occasioned by some doubts raised in westminster hall concerning the persons who were the subjects of this law for the clearing therefore of any such doubt this subsequent statute gives the justice an express power to rate the wages of any laborers weavers spinsters and workmen or workmen whomsoever either working by the day week month year or taking any work at any person's hands whatsoever to be done by the great or otherwise and to render the execution of this law the more easy the statute of james one enacts one that in all counties where general sessions are kept in several divisions the rating wages at such respective general sessions shall be as effectual within the division as if they had been rated at the grand general session two the method of certifying the rates in chancery appearing i apprehend too troublesome and tedious such certificate is made no longer necessary but the rates being assessed and engrossed in parchment under the hands and seals of the justices the sheriff or chief officer of towns corporate may immediately proclaim the same whereas wool is the great staple commodity of this kingdom and the woolen trade its principal manufacture the parliament have given particular attention to the wages of artificers in this trade for one by the statute of james i no clothier being a justice of peace in any precinct or liberty shall be a rater of wages for any artisan depending upon the making of cloth two clothiers not paying so much wages to their workmen or workwomen as are rated by the justices forfeit ten shillings for every offence by a late statute all persons anywise concerned in employing any labourers in the woollen manufactory are required to pay the full wages or price agreed on in money and not in goods truck or otherwise nor shall they make any deduction from such wages or price on account of any goods sold or delivered previous to such agreement and all such wages are to be levied on conviction before two justices by distress and for want of distress the party is to be committed for six months or until full satisfaction is made to the party complaining besides which the clothier forfeits the sum of one hundred pence four by the same statute all contracts bylaws etc 
made in unlawful clubs by persons brought up in or exercising the art of a wool-comber or weaver for regulating the said trade setting the prices of goods advancing wages or lessening the hours of work are declared to be illegal and void and any person concerned in the woolen manufacturers who shall knowingly be concerned in such contract bylaw etc or shall attempt to put it into execution shall upon conviction before two justices suffer three months imprisonment but long before this act a general law was made to punish all conspiracies for raising wages limiting hours of work etc among artificers workmen and laborers and if such conspiracy was to extend to a general advance of wages all over the kingdom any insurrection of a number of persons in consequence of it would be an overt act of high treason from this cursory view it appears i think that no blame lies at the door of the legislature which hath not only given the magistrate but even private persons with his assistance a power of compelling the poor to work and secondly hath allotted the fullest powers and prescribed the most effectual means for ascertaining and limiting the price of their labor but so very faulty and remiss hath been the execution of these laws that an incredulous reader may almost doubt whether there are really any such existing particularly that which relates to the rating the wages of laborers a law which at first it seems was too carelessly executed and which hath since grown into utter neglect and disuse hath this total disuse arisen in common with the neglect of other wholesale provisions for want of due attention to the public good or is the execution of this law attended with any extraordinary difficulty or lastly are we really grown as sir josiah child says wiser than our forefathers and have discovered any fault in the constitution itself and that to retrench the price of labor by a law is an error in policy this last seems to me i own to be a very strange doctrine and somewhat of a paradox in politics however as it is the sentiment of a truly wise and great man it deserves a fair discussion such i will endeavor to give it since no man is more inclined to respect the opinions of such persons and as the revival of the law which he opposes is i think absolutely necessary to the purpose i am contending for i will give the passage from sir josiah at length it is an answer to this position that the clearness of wages spoils the english trade here says he the author propounds the making a law to retrench the hire of poor men's labor an honest charitable project and well becoming a usurer the answer to this is easy first i affirm and can prove he is mistaken in fact for the dutch with whom we principally contend in trade give generally more wages to all their manufacturers by at least two pence in the shilling than the english secondly wherever wages are high universally through the whole world it is an infallible evidence of the riches of that country and wherever wages for labor run low it is a proof of the poverty of that place thirdly it is multitudes of people and good laws such as cause an increase of people which principally enrich any country and if we retrench by law the labor of our people we drive them from us to other countries that give better rates and so the dutch have drained us of our seamen and woolen manufacturers and we the french of their artificers and silk manufacturers and many more we should if our laws otherwise gave them fitting encouragement of which more in due place fourthly if any particular trades exact more here than in holland they are only such as do it by virtue of incorporations privileges and charters 
of which the cure is easy by an act of naturalization and without compulsory laws it is true our great-grandfathers did exercise such a policy of endeavoring to retrench the price of labor by a law although they could never effect it but that was before trade was introduced into this kingdom we are since with the rest of the trading world grown wiser in this matter and i hope shall so continue to this i reply one that the making such a law is not only an honest but a charitable project as it proposes by retrenching the price of poor men's labor to provide labor and consequently higher for all the poor who are capable of labor in all manufacturers whatever the lower the price of labor is the cheaper will be the price to the consumer and the cheaper this price is the greater will be the consumption and consequently the more hands employed this is likewise a very charitable law to the poor farmer and never more necessary than at this day when the rents of lands are rated to the highest degree the great hopes which the farmer hath indeed his common relief from ruin is of an exportation of corn this exportation cannot be by law unless where the corn is under such a particular price how necessary then is it to him that the price of labor should be confined within moderate bounds that the exportation of corn which is of such general advantage to the kingdom should turn in any considerable manner to his private profit and what reason is there to imagine that his power of limiting wages should be executed in any dishonest or uncharitable manner is it not a power entrusted to all the justices of the county or division and to the sheriff with the assistance of grave sober and substantial persons who must be sufficient judges of the matter and who are directed to have regard to the plenty and scarcity of the times is it to be suspected that many persons of this kind should unite in a cruel and flagitious act by which they would be liable to the condemnation of their own consciences to the curses of the poor and to be reproached by the example of all their neighboring counties are not much grosser exorbitances to be feared on the other side when the lowest artificers husbandmen and laborers are made judges in their own cause and when it is left to their own discretion to exact what price they please for their labor of the poor farmer or clothier of whom if they cannot exact an extravagant price they will fly to that alternative which idleness often prefers of begging or stealing lastly such a restraint is very wholesome to the poor laborers themselves of whom sir josiah observes that they live better in the dearest counties for the provisions than in the cheapest and are better in dear year than in cheap especially in relation to the public good for in cheap year they will not work above two days in a week their humor being such that they will not provide for a hard time but just work so much and no more as may maintain them in that mean condition to which they have been accustomed it is not therefore upon this concession demonstrable that the poor man himself will live much better his family certainly will by these means again many of the poor and those the more honest and industrious will probably gain by such a law for at the same time that the impudent and idle if left to themselves will certainly exact on their masters the modest the humble and the truly laborious may often and so i doubt not but the case is be oppressed by them and forced to accept a lower price for their labor than the liberality of gentlemen would allow them secondly the two assertions contained in the next paragraph both seem to me suspicious first that the dutch and other nations have done all that in them lies to draw from us our seamen and some of our manufacturers is certainly true and this they would do at any price but that the dutch do in general give more wages to their manufacturers than the english is i believe not the fact 
of the manufactures of holland the only considerable article which we ourselves take of them except linen are toys and to this we are induced not because the dutch are superior to our workmen in genius and dexterity points in which they are not greatly celebrated but because they work much cheaper nor is secondly the immediate transition from trade to manufacture altogether so fair the dutch it is true are principally our rivals in trade in general and chiefly as carriers but not so in manufacture particularly in the woollen manufacture here our chief rivals are the french amongst whom the price of labour is known to be considerably lower than with us to this among other causes for i know there are others and some very scandalous ones they owe their success over us in the levant it is indeed a truth which needs no comment nor proof that where goods are of equal value the man who sells cheapest will have the most custom and it is certainly true that he who makes up his goods in the cheapest manner can sell them so thirdly sir josiah asserts that wherever wages are high universally throughout the world tis an infallible evidence of the riches of that country and wherever wages for labour run low it is a proof of the poverty of that place if this be true the concession will do him no service for it will not prove that to give high wages is the way to grow rich since it is much more probable that riches would cause the advance of wages than that high wages should produce riches this latter i am sure would appear a high solecism in private life and i believe it is no less so in public fourthly his next assertion that to retrench by law the labour of our people is to drive them from us hath partly received an answer already to give this argument any force our wages must be reduced at least below the standard of other countries which is i think very little to be apprehended but on the contrary if the labourer should carry his demands ever so little higher as may be reasonably expected the consumption of many manufacturers will not only be confined to our own people but to a very few of those people thus i hope i have given a full answer to this great man whom i cannot dismiss without observing a manifest mistake of the question which runs through all his arguments all that he advances concluding indeed only to the quantum of wages which shall be given for labour he seems rather to argue against giving too little than against regulating what is to be given so that his arguments are more proper for the consideration of the justices at their meeting for setting the rates of wages than for the consideration of the legislature in a debate concerning the expediency of the above law to evince the expediency of which i appeal to the concurrent sense of parliament in so many different ages for this is not only testified expressly in the above statute of elizabeth and james but may be fairly implied from those of edward the sixth and george the first above recited end of section four part two